This is St. Peter's Sunday Morning Bible Group, and I'm Pastor Adam. Each week, we record our teaching time to aid you in your discipleship and to help create a resilient faith that is able to respond to the changing landscape of culture and life with the fullness of grace and truth. And hey, if you happen to live in the Columbus area, we would love to see you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head over to our website at stpeterscolumbus.org. That's stpeterscolumbus.org. Here is this week's Sunday Morning Bible Group. If you have questions that you uh, don't have a chance in terms of time or in terms of your uh, uh, embarrassment factor to ask out loud, uh, you can uh, go ahead and write those down on the note cards that are on your tables. Um, especially for, uh, uh, for Melissa, there may be some questions as she's going through and you're going to go, well, I've got a specific thing I want to talk about. I want to take everyone's time. Uh, please, you can jot, jot those down on the note cards. You'll, we'll get those to whoever. So Tim, I'm going to pull it up what his response was. Last week, uh, two people or one person asked two questions that Tim didn't have time to answer. And I want to give his specific answer. Tim Carter the first question was, how did you choose to go into the uh, prison system? Uh, how did you choose the uh, criminal uh, justice uh, path you took? And he said, uh, what drew me to the prison guard profession? I was a college student at Sam Houston State University in Huntsville, Texas, which has five different state penitentiaries, five different ones in one town. Can you imagine that? All right. Um, so... Uh, the main penitentiary, the State Penitentiary Administration Building, several college buddies told him that they worked at, uh, at the night shift at one of the penitentiaries, thought it would be a good college job, and then just got into the system and stayed there. All right. The second question was, did the man in the steel mill who shared the New Testament with him ever get to know his impact on Tim? In effect, did the person that saved him from himself uh, by sharing the gospel? Here's his answer yes, but he didn't know it until about 15 years later. Shortly after he gave him the Bible, uh, uh, Tim left the job, went back to the penitentiary, lost all contact with him, and had no idea that man had no idea that Tim had come to the faith. However, Tim's beautiful bride, his wifey, um, and that's a very affectionate term. I know some people get upset by that, but it's wifey, and, and uh, like, I thought it was hubby, but he, she's got a different name for him, and she, anyhow, I think though she's, she's more of the pastor's wife, so she always says Pastor Tim when she's talking to other people, but she tracked down this guy, and they had a reunion 15 years later, and Tim was able to share a thank you for the man sharing the gospel that changed his path. So, um, again, you know, that's one of those things, like, as a teacher, I can use that teachable moment. You never know the impact that your simple witness can make to somebody. You know, just that guy saying, have you ever read the New Testament? And Tim did, and God worked through his word and through his Holy Spirit to bring Tim into faith. You, as a Christian, never know the small impact that you can have. So, somebody plants, somebody waters. The Holy Spirit's the one that brings faith to, to fruition. Don't ever doubt that you have an impact for the kingdom. All right, so with that answer, uh, any other questions that have popped up that somebody would like to ask about things that we've been talking about? Any questions? No such thing as a stupid question. Um, there's more chairs. Um, John, in the, in, right in there, there's more chairs. 
Um, any other questions? Questions? All right. And let's begin with a word of prayer. Look at Heavenly Father, as we gather together today, we ask for your blessing. Lord, help us to see that we can be an impact for your kingdom, that we can share the message of the resurrection through Jesus Christ. As Melissa shares with us, Lord, uh, give her the, the wisdom and the courage to speak to us. Have, give us the ears to listen and the, ears, uh, the heart to apply that to our lives. Help us then to help others that need to have that skill. Lord, again, as we go through our lives, we ask that you would bless us and keep us as we gather in your word that you would strengthen us. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. With that, I want to give uh, Melissa as much time as she needs. Uh, we're going to have a couple other things coming up in the next couple weeks. Next week, Clayton Knowlton, County Coroner, will be here sharing some things with us. Then the three pastors together will be here on the 25th. And we wrap this class up on March 3rd with all the things that you need to know. Everything, right? All right. So go ahead, Melissa. Okay, so when George asked if I would come and talk about uh, children's grief, I was very excited, but I did not expect to be speaking to so many people. So I thought I'd be having a conversation in an intimate little uh, church class in the morning. So if you have questions, please feel free to ask while I'm talking. Um, otherwise, there's the cards, and my business card is on your way out if you need to speak with me some other time. George wanted me to share some things about myself, some questions he wanted me to answer. So um, I am a licensed clinical social worker, which means I have a master's degree in social work and took a test and did lots of supervision hours a long time ago. Um, and so I've been doing this a long time. I did take about a 10 year break to raise my uh, children. I am married to Kyle Clark and we have uh, Jacob is a freshman at Purdue we have Jesse and Elijah, our sophomores at Columbus North. We have a bonus daughter, Kinsey, who is 14 here at St. Peter's. And we have a daughter in heaven, Eva. So you'll hear more about her later in that story. Um, he asked, what do I like about St. Peter's the best? And as a social worker, I really like that we um, are including families. We're reaching out to families and, um, sorry, and that they created a position for me here at St. Peter's um, to work with families and that we understand that people go through challenging situations. So um, at St. Peter's, so yeah, at St. Peter's, a typical day is I work with kids in a supportive counseling role and um, see them here. I also work at LifeWorks across the street doing counseling, uh, which is the uh, formal counseling that you would think of. Um, I also work with families, so St. Peter's recognized that there was a need for families to have support, and so a lot of times parents come in to meet with me to talk about what their kids are doing or how they can help. I also provide support to the teachers and the staff about the mental health needs of the kids. So when we're talking to children about death, it can be very, very difficult, um, and we need to provide facts that are developmentally and age appropriate. Um, and so there's another sheet we'll go over in a little bit about the de developmental stages for kids. Um, and so you want to explain to kids about what happened um, based on their age with facts. You want to use simple language. You don't want to give more details than they need or can handle. Um, and this will change over the course of their life as they um, developmentally change and cognitively change and are able to handle more information. 
Um, we should use the words that somebody died or there was a death, not that somebody is lost or somebody is sleeping or somebody has gone on a trip and will come back. That's very confusing for kids. While it softens what we're talking about, um, we just need to be very factual. Kids can actually handle a lot more information than we uh, know that they can, and they're very, very smart. So they're listening even when we don't think they're listening and they're hearing the adults talk. So also be careful about how you're uh, talking in front of kids about details and what has happened. Um, be prepared for the questions that they'll ask. Um, kids will ask questions, as you know. They're just kind of that way. And so um, be prepared for that and kind of prepare yourself about how you would answer those questions. And it's okay to say, I don't know. And it's okay to say, that's not something we're gonna talk about right now, but we can talk about at another time, maybe when you get older. Um, also be prepared for um, when kids, you might be in a public setting or you might be um, somewhere that you don't particularly need to or want to talk about the death to kind of have a response of like, we're not going to talk about that right now, but we can talk about that later because kids will surprise you and bring up things uh, when you least expect it. Um, and so help your kids identify their feelings, not just good. How are you feeling? Lots of kids say, I feel good or I feel bad. Um, but help them identify the big feelings that they're having, like sadness, anger, frustration. Lots of times kids are confused by what's happened. Um, you can see an increase in anxiety or worry about other people dying or leaving. Um, so give them the opportunity to talk about those feelings. Um, and then for, you know, for kids who might be involved, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but uh, terminal illness or things where we know somebody is going to die, um, give them a say in kind of how things would go or how involved they want to be, depending on their relationship with the person. We also want to normalize grief. It's an unfortunate and sad part of living on this side of heaven that all of us will experience grief in some way some of us more than others, um, and for children, that's untimely. Um, it's, it's not expected that that would be the order of life, that children would lose someone significant to them, um, and so we want to normalize that. Educating yourself, like being here today, or watching videos, or any other opportunities you have to read books or articles about um, the way children grieve or what to expect is helpful. Um, and remembering that everyone's reaction to death is unique and that there's really no right way to grieve. We all do it differently. Um, and so not passing judgment on how kids grieve. Um, it's not unusual at funerals to see kids kind of running around and playing um, and acting you know, like nothing has happened while the adults are doing something very different at funerals. Um, and that's, that's very normal for kids. And so allow them that time um, because their grief will arise at some point, but for them that's their coping mechanism um, and probably their inability to really understand what's going on. Um, so children definitely grieve differently than adults. Like I said, the funeral is one example, but they also grieve in bursts. And so what you'll see is a child might be going along for uh, a while and then all of a sudden something happens and it's a lot larger than what it should be. Uh, the emotional reaction is a lot larger than what it should be, and as somebody talks to the child, you sometimes get to that it's about their grief, and that's just how their minds have been able to cope and been able to uh, get through that loss. 
Um, they grieve differently at different ages. Um, and grief is not something that we just get over. We never get over the loss of our loved ones. It's a journey. And for children or for traumatic loss um, or significant loss, it's a, it's a really deep valley in our lives that we have to uh, take the time to uh, cope and find the support we need and, and heal the best that we can. But it's, it's never concluded, it's never over. We learn to integrate grief into our lives um, and that's different for everybody. So on the other page here um, are some, and I'm not gonna read it word for word, but something you can keep with you um, is how children grieve at different, their natural grief reactions. And again, this is gonna depend on the child. It's gonna depend on the um, person who died and their relationship with that person. And it's gonna depend on uh, lots of other factors about the level of support they have, how um, other people in the family are doing with their grief. Um, and so it's really important as the adults uh, that we take the time that we need to also grieve and receive support that does not come from our kids. And that can be really challenging, right? When we're sad and um, we need comforted, we want to rely on our kids. Um, and so you can see here, there's lots of similarities about how kids will react to grief. Um, you could see increased like clinginess, um, separation anxiety, like I said, somebody worry about somebody else dying, um, temper tantrums, nightmares, sleep problems, school problems. Um, and as kids get older and their brain develops, you might see their reactions differently. So as kids get older, you might, in a elementary kids, there might be some magical thinking like the person's going to come back somehow, um, or there was something that they did that could have prevented this from happening. Um, more attention-seeking behavior, so maybe whining or just kind of some defiance or behaviors that you hadn't seen before, and so you're not really sure why that's happening. Um, giving up activities, withdrawal from friends. And so if you start seeing these things and it's not resolved or it continues for a long time, then you should probably seek some outside um, assistance from somebody. In adolescence, you might see all of the same things, um, but you might also see some increased acting out behavior, riskiness behavior. I mean, that's just typical of teenagers anyways. They get a little risky and uh, test the waters a little bit, but you might see a lack of care from them about like the consequences of that or the ability to think that through and an increase in those behaviors. So again, if that continues and the child can't resolve that with your help, um, you should seek outside help. And schools typically have counselors, um, at least here in Bartholomew County, all of the schools have access to counselors. Um, and then there's obviously uh, life works where you could reach out and uh, receive formal counseling and then there's other I'll talk about other resources as we get near the end um, so anticipatory grief is anticipated loss so do it a, a terminal illness so there's a time frame that we know that somebody's going to die and in that time frame there's loss that already starts to happen that we should talk about with kids um, roles in the family um, might change 
as far as like older kids who can help with younger kids or grandparents coming in to help with parents or parents being absent more because it's a grandparent who's dying. And so being aware that those roles may change and having conversations with your kids or children about that would be um, helpful. There's other ambiguous loss that happens when somebody becomes terminally ill, such as financial changes, um, changes in routines, not being the kids not maybe not being able to do everything that they had been doing or uh, families needing to rely on other people for help um, and then asking kids to and encouraging them to make appropriate decisions about how they want to participate in funeral services or memorial service based on their age of course um, and there's a whole uh, continuum of how kids would participate um, in different services or choose not to, but offering that op them that opportunity is helpful. As far as sudden loss, um, just like adults, our reactions can vary. Our brain is a magnificent tool that God created for us that protects us in really uh, hard times. And so that's the factor of shock, right? That we go into shock and we somehow can get through really hard times of preparing a funeral and making decisions and going to a funeral and functioning through that. That's the function of shock that God, I think, has created for us to survive that initial um, trauma. And so for kids too, like I said, they'll, they'll run around as though nothing has happened and um, want to play and all of that. So they experience a delay typically in their reactions um, as adults. We unfortunately typically have more experience with loss or grief or life situations, and so our brain catches up a little faster about what's happened. Plus, our brains are fully developed, so we kind of know um, how life has changed. Um, provide details of a death that are age appropriate. I think we talked about that. And use straightforward and factual information that you can give. As you see, you know whatever children you're working with, you would know what they can handle or not handle, and that will change over time. Um, we have some losses such as suicide and drug overdose that carry some stigma with them, unfortunately, um, and that can be hard to address with kids. Um, the one thing I would encourage with that is just to not say that we don't talk about that or to choose not to talk about that, but to find ways through receiving support for yourself and counsel for yourself about what to share with kids and how to share that based on um, their age and what they would be able to handle. Um, so what do children need during grief? They need routine. They need to stay in their activities the best they can. They need to get back to school as quickly as they can. That's not always possible if they need to be out for a few days to attend a funeral, but as soon as they can, um, and they may not want to go to school, they may not feel very good, they may have stomach aches or headaches or worry, but the quicker they can be in their routine, um, the healthier that is for them. Please make sure that the school or wherever they're going knows what's happened. And again, you don't have to share everything, but that they would know um, we have some, we call them frequent flyers to the nurse, right? They have stomach aches and they have headaches and um, that kind of thing. And so then if the school would know, we're able to care for them in a different way than um, possibly sending them home or sending them back to class. Um, providing consistent boundaries and expectations for behavior. So, and this can be hard when we're grieving or when we're hurting. Um, 
but letting kids know that there's still uh, boundaries on how they behave and um, what's going to happen. So it's okay to be angry, but it's not okay to hit people, throw things, hurt themselves, or hurt property. Like those are the boundaries. Like it's okay to have your feelings, but it's not okay to um, do those other things. It's a, uh, help, always helpful to find ways to remember and talk about the person who died. Um, and this can be hard, it can be really painful um, a lot of times. Um, and so finding ways that kids can uh, remember that, whether it's through pictures or making a memory box, or sometimes there might be an item of clothing or a teddy bear or something like that that they can have with them to remember their loved one. Holidays, birthdays, um, anniversaries, even anniversaries um, of the death for certain uh, losses um, can be really important and a time for families to remember that person and to honor their life. It also teaches kids that um, even in death, people aren't forgotten um, and that they still can hold a very important place in our lives. Like I've said several times, seek outside counseling or support as needed, either for yourselves or for your children or for your family as a whole. That looks different for everybody. I do not feel that everybody needs formal counseling when somebody uh, dies, um, but sometimes it's, it's warranted for a short period of time or at different intervals um, in the grief journey. Like I said, kids will grieve in bursts, so um, you could be doing great for six months and all of a sudden something developmentally has changed or something has triggered their grief and you're kind of caught off guard by how they're reacting. Um, teaching kids that it is a journey and that they will be able to integrate that into their lives um, over time, that the pain won't go away or the loss won't go away, but it softens. Um, and it becomes a part of something that we can talk about more and incorporate their loved one into their lives. Do we have any questions yet? I assume that a lot of this applies to not just a death, but the loss of a friendship, the loss of yes. a Yes. Let me repeat that, because again, so everyone can hear. You're saying, Connie, that the, what she's describing deals with loss, not just death. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, I'm sorry, Melissa. No, you're fine, thank you. Um, right, and so what I see as a counselor is there are, there are multiple types of loss. Yes, and so a lot of this can, can be transferred into those, especially divorce. That's a significant loss for kids. Um, and so being able to also incorporate some of these same principles or strategies and coping skills into a divorce, loss of friendships, French, friends moving away, uh, families moving away. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of that too. Also families that are impacted by adoption. You know, there's a lot of loss that kids, even if they hadn't known their biological families, would have a sense of loss sometimes, for sure. Good question, thanks. Anything else? L let me repeat that. That's a great question, Trish, because this deals with adults too. I'm listening and I'm hearing a lot of these same things with kids are how adults process it too. When is it right to have a child stay home because they feel badly, they say they're sick, they say they're sad, and when do you get them back into the routine? When do you have them go back to school? Right, so that's a tricky one um, because that's likely an anxiety uh, reaction for sure. And so what we see happen with anxiety, whether it's loss or not, is the more we stay away, the less we'd be able to cope or function. Um, you know, the, the nurse would blanket say if there's a fever or 
vomiting, that's when kids stay home or go home. So um, I think there's okay, it's okay to have like what we would call, I call it my house a mental health day if you know we need to just kind of stay home for a day. But strategizing or uh, partnering with the school counselor and the school administration would be really important so that you don't get in a pattern of avoidance. And that's, that's just a coping mechanism, right, for anxiety or stress. Um, trusting that uh, the school can, is equipped to handle whatever is going on. It's better to get them in the doors because typically if anybody's ever dealt with anxiety, I have, it's scary. Um, once you're kind of in the routine and you're kind of doing that, you start to feel better. And that's just really healthy for kids. When to stay home, I mean, I think that's a parent's decision. I would just caution that it's never to comfort the parent or to soothe the parent. Because, you know, in grief, I mean, I was there. I didn't want to be alone. Um, and so having to make those hard decisions on what's best for kids um, can happen. I would say as, as much as you can, don't do that. <laughs> it's not always possible if kids are crying and sobbing and we've had kids that won't get out of the car and, you know, so it's a kind of an individualized situation for sure. The, the question where, what are some normal questions that kids would answer about death? And probably the other side is what's a good answer to give? Um, so kids will ask, um, what happened? Um, where did they go? When will I see them again? Are they coming back? The younger kids will, you know, kind of ask some questions about are they coming back? Um, why did it happen? All of those questions that even as adults that we struggle with. Um, and so again, it's leaning on our faith. Um, uh, and what we, we know to be true uh, on the other side of here and what we know to be true about our struggles here on earth um, that are sad um, and hard, but being straightforward with kids that there's just some things we don't know for sure. Um, but then again, leaning on our faith and our belief in um, the resurrection and uh, you know um, our ability to be in heaven with our loved ones when it's God's timing, right? So, um, yeah, did that answer? Kids can ask, ask like really interesting questions actually that sometimes you just have to go, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure why that happened right now or let me take some time to think about that and get back to you because I want to be able to answer in a way that's helpful. Do you keep the kids close, let them be involved in the full process early on? Or do you send them to grandma and grandpa while you make the arrangements? I think there's a balance to that that needs to happen and partially because I think it's healthy for kids to see uh, people grieve. But I think the overwhelming grief of uh, traumatic loss or for me losing a, a, a baby, you know, those types of things, um, we do need to protect them from some of that because kids will move into a caretaking role. They will take on our anxiety. They will take on our sadness. And so it's, um, I think it's healthy for them to see that we grieve, but then as adults to know like, okay, when is it time for them to have a break from that? Um, and that can be hard, but definitely, I think it's fine to send them to someone's house for a few days while you're initially dealing with everything, but don't shelter them from what happened or from the emotions that happen when we lose someone we love. Is there a way to say, like, a teenager, when 
stay kind of fighting other struggling, but is there a good way to try to get them to seek professional help? That's hard, right? Yeah, because you, um, I think sometimes you could ask for a negotiation, like, could we try this? Can you, and give them a couple of people to choose from. Can we go as a family? Uh, can I go with you? Is there anybody who can go with you? And quite honestly, as teenagers, a lot of times they show up by themselves. Do you want to go by yourself? And, and counselors are skilled at engaging, uh, tough to engage kids and, and teenagers. Um, but I think giving them choice is really, really important. And who they see or how that happens, or let's just try it once, or let's try it once a month, or um, we don't have a lot of resources for kids um, in our community. I hope that changes over the next many years. We have a good start, um, but there might be support groups at schools. Um, so I know our hospice does support groups. I know there's different counselors that would have support groups. So even then, if they wouldn't want to go to a counselor at LifeWorks and sit in an office for an hour or 45 minutes, would they be open to talking to somebody at the school, the school counselor? Or do you have somebody in your network of support who's had a significant loss and can relate to them and would they agree to meet with that person just to have someone to talk to? Yeah, choice is really important with teenagers in lots of areas, so. All right, to say that again, Nancy asked, what about the, the goodbye process at a funeral? Do you let the kids say goodbye before the funeral? Yeah, I think you definitely offer that opportunity. You mean if someone's terminally ill? Yeah, I, def I think you offer that opportunity for sure. And it's amazing how kids can handle that. Um, you have to protect them from anything that could be scary. You know, uh, if they're in the hospital and there's lots of machines kind of explaining that um, to kids. But again, um, I definitely think offering them that, that opportunity versus them not having the opportunity to say goodbye or see that person could be harmful in the future. Mm -hmm. What if they seem not to be doing anything about their grief? They're just going on as normal, ignoring it. And again, that can be a very typical response, um, not just with kids, right? And so I think keeping the dialogue open as adults offering those those times of mem remembering like holidays and anniversaries and birthdays keep keep the conversation open keeps kids knowing that we haven't forgotten um, and just knowing that it's still there so if you continue to talk about the person maybe not every day or every week but you have those times that you remember or you have pictures out or you you grieve um, it's at least modeling to them what is appropriate and that it's okay. Again, you can't make people talk and you certainly can't make kids talk, but over time, just modeling that could really help them or giving them, there's different journals and things you can buy, um, offering those opportunities of, you know, giving them something from the loved one just as a way to remember, um, but keeping the conversation open and remembering the loved one is really important. Okay, so some of the resources we do have um, in our community is um, our hospice is a great resource for grief. You don't have to have been in their services or use their services. They have a bereavement care program that's open to everybody. I think it's 16 counties, so their website is on the page, um, along with other 
resources you can look up. There's a National Grief Awareness, Children's Grief Awareness Day that happens in November. Typically, I think it's the third Thursday of November. Um, I developed a camp called Camp Eva. Um, after um, my daughter died 10 years ago, I realized, of course, being a social worker, I realized that there were not really any services for children. And at that time, my boys were all um, around to experience her death. And so I developed that camp, and right now it's just a day camp. I did it by myself the first year. I was a volunteer at hospice, and then ever since then, minus two years for COVID, we've had it um, for kids ages five to 12. And we do different activities. We have uh, dogs there for pet therapy. We do crafts. We do it out at youth camp, Columbus Youth Camp, and so they have staff that does some team building exercises. We also offer a family support time away from the kids, but so the families have a place to go and talk about their grief or their kids' grief um, while the kids are enjoying their day. We also, um, as an offshoot of Camp Eva, have a support group called Transformers, and we meet the first and third Thursday here in 2164. Sometimes that changes, um, and I lead that, so we don't meet during the summer. So if you would like to, any, if you know anybody who would benefit from being involved, I believe Camp Eva is on the calendar for September 14th. Um, if you wanna take my card, there is a transformer flyer. So if you know anybody, they can jump in anytime. It's not a closed group where they have to wait to join, they can join. It would be helpful for me to know that they're coming ahead of time. It's not necessary, um, but it's just helpful so I can be aware of the needs and who died and what the kids might need so I can be the most helpful. I hope you are enjoying this week's Sunday Morning Bible Group. For more information, you can head over to stpeterscolumbus.org. There, you will find more faith content and you can support this ministry. And don't forget, if you are looking for that local church and you live in Columbus, we would love to see you on a Sunday morning. Now, back to the Sunday Morning Bible Group. As we go through I, uh, I mentioned that uh, a lot of us have the, uh, we want to say that death is natural, and yet it's really not. It's become normal, but it's not natural. God's plan was not for death. Let's go back, and we're going to pull in the Bible references here, so that we can see death was a consequence. Get, death was a result of something entering our world which God had not created that God had not wanted. All right, look at Genesis 3. If you want to pull it up in your Bible, I'll have it up here. Uh, you can use whatever Bible app or Bible you have, um, but it's also printed down on handouts. I put some handouts on the table so you can write notes. Um, as we go through this, I'm, we're, we could spend days talking about just this section in Genesis. I think our pastors might be looking at the book of Genesis as a Sunday morning Bible group during the summer. So look forward to that. But here's what Genesis says. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat the tree of any tree in the garden? Eat of any tree in the garden. Interesting thing there. Eve never says, wait, there's a snake talking to me. So there's something to think about. The question asked the pastors during the summer did animals used to talk? All right. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the uh, fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of any tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Interesting thing, in order to fight the devil, what does Eve do? She adds extra onto what God said. All right. 
God never said, don't touch it. She adds that on. Sometimes we want to add on to what God says. We're fighting temptation. Just God's word is enough by itself. We don't have to add anything on. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that you will eat of it. Your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. The temptation for all of us is right here. You are smarter than God. You want to be smarter than God. You don't want God controlling your life. Every time the devil comes to tempt us, it's to say that his way, our way, is better than God's. All right? Use the simple uh, 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 word picture. Sin, with a capital I in the middle, is when I become more important than anybody else, especially God and his commands, right? So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eye and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Interesting fact there, ladies, uh, later on, who's going to do all the blaming? Adam's going to blame, but he was there. He was there all along. He was just standing in the back saying nothing. All right, what are you going to do, woman? All right. Uh, and he doesn't speak up or anything. He's just saying, but he's right there. So she takes the fruit, bites it, and says, here, eat this. And he goes, all right. All right. <laughs> right. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. In the Garden of Eden, before the fall, God was there. He came and walked amongst them. They saw him. They experienced him visibly. We will experience this again at the end. All right? And again, the, the, Bible, study, uh, the, the Bible study that we're doing in Connect Groups, the sermon series that's coming up, in the, uh, in the new heaven and new earth, God's going to bring it back to the way it was supposed to be, in the Garden of Eden. We will see God. We will walk with him. He'll be present with us always. There will be no sorrow. There will be no tears we will be in the presence of God forever. All right. And so uh, uh, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God, presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Did God need to ask that question? No. All right. God, God sometimes asks us those rhetorical questions so that we start thinking that we can apply what, he, what we know that he knows. What, to quote Tim, I know that I know that we know that we know that how many I knows does, does Pastor Tim use? I know that we know that we know. Um, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. All right. And I hid myself. Is it the nakedness that is the, causing the shame? No, it's the knowledge that he had sinned and fallen short. That's what gave them the shame. They wanted to cover up in any way they could so God would not see that they had sinned. We know that's different. God knows that we sinned. And yet, how much of us carry a shame with us? A shame because of something we've done. God goes, what did you do? He already knows, but he wants us to confess that, release that shame, and then accept that forgiveness that he gives us through Jesus Christ. All right? God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Again, is that, is that a rhetorical question? Yes, God knew. He wants them to confess when we come on Sunday morning and we confess our sins, does God already know what we've done? A hundred percent, right? But our confessing gets us to realize it. It gets us to realize our need for Jesus. And then it opens up our hearts to hear that message. Your sins are forgiven. 
not because of your confession, but because you've given your confession and you trust in Jesus because of what Jesus does. Because of what he did on the cross, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven because of Jesus. All right, continuing the story. The man said, the woman you gave to me, uh, to, you gave to be with me. She gave me some fruit and I ate it. What's the first thing we all do? All of us. Not my fault. It was their fault. You blame somebody else. I'm going to push that blame off. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And what does the woman do? The same thing. The serpent deceived me and I ate it. Too many times we want to pass the blame on somebody else. That's again, that's confession. I have not done what I'm supposed to do. I have fallen short. The things that I should have done, I did not. And the things I should have done, I did. So it's like we confess both the sins that we've committed and the sins we've omitted. We don't deny that. All right? Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go dust, you'll eat all the days. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. All right, we can get into a whole big discussion. Did snakes have legs before the fall? All right, I think the bigger thing is we all, I shouldn't say we all, most of us are disgusted by snakes. That's a consequence. That's a side consequence of the fall. It's not a punishment. God didn't punish snakes. All right? But as a consequence of this, we've got that kind of a natural dread of snakes. The biggest message here, though, this is the power of Genesis right here. Genesis 3.15, the plan of salvation. Even though there are going to be consequences, even though there is a punishment, even though all this stuff is in the world, I still have the plan to rescue you. What? I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Satan, you're going to cause some physical pain to Jesus, the offspring of the woman. But he's going to crush your head. Jesus had to die. That's the payment. That's God's justice that demanded payment. The death of Jesus, enough to cover all of our sins. However, we still have to live with that consequence, and this is where this whole thing we've been talking about with death here. We still have to bear the consequence of that sin in our lives. Jesus has won the final victory, but as we go through life, we're going to have to fight those battles with Satan, and we're going to have to be assaulted by the consequences of sin until he comes again. To the woman, I will multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your this might be, does this say that before, have, before the fall, women didn't have pain when they were having babies? Probably, right? It's a consequence of the other things that are wrong in our world. Our bodies are not the way God intended them to be. They get sick, they're weak. We'll have those glorified bodies for eternity with Jesus in paradise. Your desire will be contrary to your husband. He will rule over you. This is not, gentlemen, the excuse why we can abuse women because we rule over them. This is where the situation with relationships have gotten messed up. It's not just about death. It's just sin has caused a problem. We've got problems with each other. We don't get along with each other. You're a different color than me. You're a different gender than me. You're a different nationality than me. We're going to have a problem because not, that's not how God punished us, but that's a consequence because we've got that sinful, selfish desire in our hearts. We don't treat people the way we ought to. 
All right. Adam, because you listen to the voice of your woman, you've eaten a tree of which I command you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. It's not going to be easy to work until we're back in the Garden of Eden. Is work a problem? Is work a bad thing? No, Adam and Eve enjoyed it. God had given that dominion over the plants and over the things. Take care of this earth, be fruitful, be multiplied. And it wasn't a chore. The consequence of sin is now we hate work. Well, we don't hate work every day, but it's still work, right? Even the best day of work, all right? The best day of work is still worse than the worst day of vacation, right? It's a consequence of sin. It's a consequence of sin because we no longer get the enjoyment. We're always focused on, again, self. Here is then the other side of it. For you're a dust, and to dust you will return. Death is going to happen. Death is the punishment for sin. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All right, then there's more about this. Uh, God creates uh, clothes for the people. Here's the first sacrifice. Some animals died to make clothes for Adam and Eve. The consequence of sin, there's got to be a payment, all right? And unfortunately, that payment is death, which is what led Jesus to the cross. The payment of death for all of us so we would not, we would not suffer eternal death. We still have to suffer temporary physical death. But because of Jesus, we don't have to suffer eternal death. This is the first picture of Jesus, all right? The sacrifices in the Old Testament were pointing ahead to Jesus. All those sacrifices fell short. Jesus fulfilled it. All the things that an animal could not do, Jesus did. Because he was God and man, he could die for our sins and cover the cost, the cost of what sin had You've got the whole thing, how it, it finishes. They were driven out of the Garden of Eden until God comes back and restores the earth, all right? Then we will have back to normal. We don't understand all the different things. Uh, Pastor Adam in his sermon today talks about, you know, uh, we, we weren't there. We can't understand it completely, but we will. And so as we gather here, death is going to hit us. Grief is going to hit us. Loss is going to hit us while we're on this earth. And yet, we have somebody that walks alongside of us. Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit as a comforter, Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the world. Jesus said, I've put you among a body of believers. Support and encourage one another. We've got a support system, and we've got the greatest message of all. We will have the resurrection of life. It's not easy. It's not easy. Those of us that have lost loved ones, those of us that have lost, lost things in this world, um, it's not easy. All right? There is grief. But we don't grieve as those that have no hope. We grieve as those that have hope in Jesus Christ. Please, please, please avail yourself of the resources. Melissa's got resources for us out there. If you're struggling with things, we've got three pastors that love Jesus and love people, and they would all love to spend time with you if you need that. Uh, you know, most of you, that you can turn to me. Um, but there's also, look around this room. There are 70 people in here that would love to give you a hug and just sit next to you. Some of you, if you're wondering what you can do to comfort somebody, some of the best things you can do is nothing. Sit there next to them and do nothing. 
all right? Just let them cry, let them grieve, let them spill out all the different feelings because adults go through all those feelings too. I've got anger, I've got shame, I've got blame, I'm blaming myself. Sometimes we just need to talk through those. And sometimes it's just you, you don't have to have any official training. You can just sit there and say, I love you, I care about you. Don't give them any solutions. Don't do anything but listen to them. Maybe you say, Jesus loves you and he's died for you, but you can just be there for them. Let's close in prayer. Look at Heavenly Father. We don't always understand everything that happens in this world. Uh, We have those questions. Lord, why did you let this happen? Why did this happen? Uh, Why are there pain and suffering? We know the ultimate cause is sin in this world, and yet we still wonder. Lord, come to us in those times with comfort. Comfort us with your word. Comfort us with your Holy Spirit. Comfort us with friends. Lord, for those of us that have loved ones that are suffering, let us just be that listening ear. Let us give the hug that they need. Uh, Let us give the the verse from the Bible that they need, but let us just be there for them. Lord, as we leave this place, help us to be witness to all of the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has died and rose again for us. It's in his holy name that we pray. Amen. Hey, I hope that you enjoyed this Sunday morning Bible group. If you did, be sure to share it and subscribe so we can get you more faith content when it's available. And I want to give a shout out to all people who call St. Peter's home. It is through you that we are able to connect people to Jesus for the first time and keep people connected for a lifetime. We hope to see you next time.